What if your miracle depended on your level of praise right now? Give him some praise. God is good. Amen. My wife was so caught up in the spirit, she misquoted the scripture. I thought she was saying it in tongues. Yeah. But you ended up coming and you said it, you said it right. But I'm like, you can tell when she's been spending time in the presence of God, she's liable to say anything. How are you guys doing? Happy anniversary. So good to see all my family and so, so many of you um, that have been primarily online are in the house too. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah, let's give it up for them. Uh, I think you came on the hottest day of the year. <laughs> it's hot in here. 11 years. We just finished 11 years. Um, I'm glad to be finished. We're now in year 12. So after today, you won't hear me reference the number 11 because in the Bible, the number 11 stands for chaos and disorder. <laughs> uh, not that we experienced any of that the past year, but I'm ready to see what 12, God's kingdom established among us looks like, amen, the, the 12th year. We're in our 12th year today, but God has been so faithful, even in moments of chaos. He's just been so good to us, better than we deserve, quite honestly. Today, we are going to wrap up our series on Rise and Build. It's a series that we've been talking about, Nehemiah how Nehemiah was sent back to his homeland to rebuild the city walls. And we spent several Sundays talking about having a burden and um, the opposition that you, you may face. I wanted to talk to you today because it's closing out this series and it's the, you know, the uh, anniversary service and our legacy offering at the end of service. I'm super whew, excited about that. Carrie, I, I think I wrote it out already. Our offering's there. Um, so don't hand that to anyone. That's our money. We need to get credit for that. Anyway, um, I'm excited about that because Carrie and I spent some time this week asking the Lord what we're going to give because once a year we like to challenge our faith, give sacrificially. And listen, I'm not telling you this as a ploy to get you to, to give more. I, I hope that you've spent some time with Jesus and you're giving exactly what he's told you to give. If it's a penny, I want to celebrate as much as if it's a million dollars. It's about obedience here. That's what this moment is about, hearing from the Lord, uh, what he wants us to give, giving sacrificially so that it hurts a little bit. Um, and then it gives us a moment to step into a moment of trust with the Lord, right? Trusting that he's going to provide for us. I don't want to talk about Nehemiah though. I want to take you to an earlier account of someone who was called to leave and build. And it's the story that we were all birthed from, really. The story of Abraham, if you recall. In Genesis chapter 12, I want to read the first five verses with you. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Everybody say go. Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Notice the going comes before the showing. Isn't it so much easier if we could just have the show first? 
show me where I'm going, how I'm going, what you're going to do for me when I get there, and what you expect me to do for you when I get there, because I need to count the cost, right? But God doesn't often work that way. Often he says, go, and then he shows us after we've already gone, he shows us the land of plenty that he really wanted us to encounter. But he needs your yes based on his word, not on the picture that he paints for you. Verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. God said, go, and Abram went. Today I want to talk to you on the title of Risky Business. Risky Business. Because I believe that every person that is called by the Spirit of God to accomplish anything on planet Earth is called to step into risky business. Father, I come before you today. God, I ask that you would challenge our hearts. No matter where we are in our Christian walk, in our Christian faith, no matter our age, no matter our gender, no matter our finances, no matter our education level, God, that you would challenge us to understand that you're not done with us yet. That there's more locked inside of us. Now's not the time to sit on the sidelines to watch the, the plays being made on the field, but now is the time to engage in that which you want us to accomplish, God. The world is crying out for a savior and you have built the church for such a time as this. God, let this church be found faithful in taking risks, not shrinking back, not being afraid, not running away, not hiding from need, but God, let us step into the moment of glory that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, amen, amen. Dr. Anthony Campolo, professor of sociology in Pennsylvania at Eastern College in Pennsylvania, he did a study uh, many years back, a few decades back, and he took a survey of 50 people that were 95 years or older. Do we have any 95 years or older in the house today? No. Do we have any 95 years or older watching online today? If yes, type in the comment, I'm here. If you can. He, I don't know if you know, if you don't know how to have someone else type it for you. I just want to know, do we have any 95 year olds in the room? That's what the study was, was doing. They asked these people a very pivotal question. They asked a, a group of 95 or older people, if you could live your life over, what would you do differently? 
Now let's just pause for a moment, okay? And let's understand um, that that's a powerful question. And, and, and let's make sure that we understand that equally powerful is the audience that they're asking. They're not asking a youth group ministry filled with 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Hey, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? They're asking a room full of 95 or older people who have some longevity, some people who have been some places, some people who have most likely made some real big mistakes, had some really big wins. They probably loved really deeply. They probably lost a whole lot. And the question asked to them is if you could go back and live your life over, what would you do differently? What would you do differently? And one answer rose to the top. Out of all the answers given, the most often stated thing was, if we could live our life over again, we would take more risk. This answer seems a little bit shocking to me. I mean, you would have thought they would have said something like, been more successful, or had more kids, or had less kids. Right. Um, built the dream home. Followed my dream career. You would have thought that they would have said something as awesome as say I love you more. You would have thought that they would have possibly said at 95, put more money in my retirement account. But what they said, these people who had lived 95 long years on planet Earth said out of everything they could change, they just want to take more risk. And, and I hope that you and I, when we're at 95 plus, Lord willing, that we are, when we are standing on the edge between this life and eternity, we won't also say that we wish we had taken more risk, you know, taking more chances in life. If these people could relive their lives, we wouldn't, they wouldn't be so scared to take risks. They would have developed more courage to venture out of their comfort zones. And 2020, 2021, let me tell you, it's applying a lot of pressure for you and I to define our comfort zones. I, I know we've lost a lot of people through COVID, but, but I almost think the sinister underlying thing from the enemy is trying to silence the church. Even bigger than an individual life. And I'm sorry if that sounds offensive. I love the individual. But there's always an eternal war going on. When you see something in the natural, there's always something in the spiritual that is going on. And the enemy wants to shut down the church. I think it's challenging to think that at the end of our life, at the end of your life, it won't be your successes. It won't be your failures. It won't be the prestigious children that you raised. It won't be your sobriety. It won't be your money. It won't be your adventures. It won't be your dreams. You're going to stand there at the end of your day and say, I hope I did what God told me to do. 
Because anything that God tells us to do will always be outside of our comfort zone. If you're refusing to risk, the great majority of the things that you're refusing to engage in are the things that the Spirit of God is breathing on. Yes, God will always bless the thing that's within your comfort zone. He'll bless what's in your hand because you're his son, you're his daughter. He loves you and he's just, he's just good like that. But his plans for you are big. They're bigger than what you can accomplish on your own. 2020, there was a great pruning that took place in the churches. Not just people watching online. I, I, we still have family. In fact, someone's here today that's been watching online for a year and a half. Every Sunday, they've faithfully been watching online. There's, there's still church family. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't separate people. Attendees, online people. No, we're one, one big family. But what 2020 did do is it revealed the people who trust God, the people who are ready to step out in faith. And this is irrelevant of where you worship. I hope you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. To fine-tune some things in you right now. The areas of your life where you put the brakes on and he, God was actually calling you in that moment to hit the gas pedal. Or you hit the gas pedal and God was calling you to hit the brakes. For some, the year of 2020... People fell deeper and deeper and deeper into the things that are very far from God because they removed themselves from accountability. They removed themselves from family. They removed themselves from the presence of God because they weren't, they weren't experiencing it here if they weren't here and they weren't doing it at home. And I'm not really just talking about the exchange. I'm, I'm talking bigger. Think bigger. This isn't a moment to be offended. This is a moment to move forward. The enemy's plan all along has been to isolate you, to cut you from the herd, to cause you to go ahead and have that other drink. Go, go, go ahead and, and just, those little things won't hurt you, but then those little things lead to bigger little things. And then it's big things. And then before you know it, your marriage is in trouble. And you're not parenting well. And your kids don't trust you. Like, Things snowball. This is what the enemy has been trying to do for the past 18 months to get us all off course by removing us from the rhythms that we were in. And now, 18 months later, what we have done is developed a comfort zone that doesn't look anything like a sanctuary pleasing to the Lord. And I just hope at the end of my days, I will have laid it all on the table. Following Jesus is risky business, people. I don't know if you knew how long you've known Jesus, how much you've heard about him, how much you've read about him, but he kind of wasn't all that popular. If you remember, he was... You know, an outcast in his own hometown. 
and it only got worse. The people then began to conspire against him. He was ultimately crucified on a tree after only three years of ministry, crucified in the public square for all to see. And he's the person we want to be like. That doesn't fit in any comfort zones that I know. Uh, Pastor, I didn't know I was signing up for that. I understand. When we give our heart to Jesus, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, we just, we hear the call that everything's going to change and it's all going to be all right. And we imagine the Christian life of sitting on the beach, sipping on a pina colada. I don't, is that a, a thing? Is that, I, anyway, it's not like that exactly. When you say yes to Jesus, you're signing up to die. Pastor, I don't think they actually communicated that, that, that well when I said yes. Can we have a chat? We need some risk takers in 2021. The Pina Colada Church ain't going to change the world. And I, now I'm talking to us. I'm not trying to throw any stones at any other church. I really hope that a church doesn't have some kind of event and, and advertise pina coladas because if they're doing that I don't know about it I'm talking to us what God has called us to at the exchange church if you call this your church home or you're here for the first or second time and it's piquing your interest you want to know more about us let me just tell you up front we're not a country club we are a people who passionately love the Lord Jesus Christ who aren't perfect we make mistakes we drop the ball we'll disappoint you even me even my wife Probably me, more than my wife. We're going to offend you. We're going to hurt your feelings. We're not going to say thank you. We're not going to call you all the time. We're not going to check on you when you're sick. We want to, but I'm just saying, in this area, you're going to find an opportunity to be offended. Trust me, I've been offended at you this year. Where there's relationship, there's reason for offense. It's not in my notes, so I'm debating whether I should stay on this trail for a moment or not. I feel like the Lord's saying linger. I feel like my wife is looking at me saying, keep going, Trey, get to your notes. So I'm looking halfway between heaven and my wife. I'm going to keep going, um, but I want to say one thing. We have to be different than the world. You know, we've talked about Nehemiah and a burden. This is one of my burdens. Seeing, seeing a church, global church, big C church, that comes after one another. What is this? Like, Jesus didn't die for that. In a, 
In a pandemic, you will likely never again see a pandemic in your lifetime. If this one ever ends, you will <laughs> never again see another pandemic. Has the church done what God called it to do? Or did we just get in our corners and fight from a place of a political spirit, of a racial spirit? Or did we stand on the word of God because last I checked, in him, we are all one. And when my brother is hurting, I should be hurting. And when I'm hurting, you should be hurting. Not laughing, but hurting. That's what family does. We missed a great opportunity, church, for people to look at us and say, you have every right to be angry in this cultural war. Why aren't you angry? Well, I'm not angry because I understand there's a higher purpose. There's a higher war that I'm fighting that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I don't wrestle against systems in place. I don't wrestle against nations. I wrestle against powers of the air. And so for us to defeat them as God has called us to do, you and I have to be one. And when you realize who the real enemy is, when you realize who the real enemy is, it makes it so much easier to love stupid people. <laughs> like your version of stupid. I know you've got your version of stupid. There's people that don't think like you and you think how stupid is that? But when the spirit of God lives inside of you, you can actually be kind to those stupid people. You can be generous to those ignorant people. Whatever names, that, whatever labels, the people that don't get it. Are you, are you following me? But we didn't, the church didn't. We didn't risk anything. We just echoed the narratives from whatever our political party was. We echoed it. We perpetuated it. We allowed it to grow and to fester. Rather than being the solution that the world needed in a moment when it was literally falling apart at the seams. We just jumped on the, the bandwagon that we were used to hearing. The one we wanted to champion and support. But God called you higher. He called me higher. Following Jesus is risky business. And listen, it doesn't happen overnight. The transformation that, that you see in other people, they didn't get there overnight. They got there over time. Being a Christian isn't boring. It's a, a dangerous invitation. If you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. If you want to be the head of the line, find yourself in the back first. You know, the older you get, the less you want to risk. The more risk averse you become. I remember I was 16, 17, we were traveling, and we were in a sing my family was singing across, you know, southern U.S. We were in a southern gospel group. I played bass guitar, and uh, my mom and dad, and my sisters, and we had a couple of other people. It's called Family Resemblance. And we sang, and we toured. I was uh, by far the most difficult person on the bus. 
my, my mom and dad said amen. And uh, there would be some discipline on the bus before some worship on the platform. And, and, uh, but, you know, we traveled, and I remember multiple times telling the Lord, wherever you want to send me, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours. I mean, in high school, y'all, I skipped school to read the Bible. Who does that? It's ridiculous. I, I was going to Pflugerville High School, skipped school, went to Pflugerville Park, you know, where we currently, you know, sometimes have church events. Yeah, I, I know this parking spot I was parked in, skipping school to read the Bible because I was so in love with Jesus and his word, I just had to know more. Now, I don't recommend that, students. I don't recommend that you, you skip school. But I remember at 17, just wanting to give it all to the Lord. Just give it all. Just take it all. God, I want to give you my whole life. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I even wrote a song. I, 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 something with those lyrics. I was crazy, y'all. But at 17, I had nothing. And how many know it's easy to give God Nothing. But now I'm 47, and I have a lot more than nothing. I've got five kids, seven now through marriage. I've got one grandchild, celebrated 27 years of marriage this past Friday to one woman, Carrie Rose. I've got, they're clapping for you. They don't know how you've done it, baby. I've got a home. That's too much to clean. I've got more animals than we need. I've got a church family that I love and that I, I actually believe you love me back. And I'm not saying that for, you know, oh, we love you. Like, even if you've not been here the last year and a half, I, I, I just, I'm dumb enough to believe that you guys love me as much as I love you, you know? And so the thought of, God now telling me to pack up and go to Haiti. Pack up and go to, what's a god-awful place? Biloxi, Mississippi. <laughs> you know, God, God telling me to leave everything. It, it's harder for me now to risk. Do you, under, do, you, do you feel me? Do you feel the tension I'm feeling right now? Like, it was easy to risk when I had nothing, but now I've got a lot. And just so that you all know, like, I'm committed to you. I feel like there aren't enough pastors that pastor for decades in the same place. But I've already told God that I'm his. And so while I love you and I love the Exchange Church, I can't tell you that I'll be here my entire life because I'm going to go wherever God tells me to go. And I expect that you'll go wherever God tells you to go. I hope God's telling you to go to church <laughs> at the Exchange Church. But following Jesus is risky. There are no guarantees. There are no guarantees that Carrie and I will be here 10 years from now at the 21st anniversary of the Exchange. I hope we are. I have no plans to go anywhere. And, and I'm not trying to speak prophetically. Lord, Pull these roots and seeds up. I'm not trying to cast nets out there. I'm only preparing you to understand 
that we are all at the disposal of a God who is moving people and placing people and building people up for this season and tearing people down for this season. And he wants to tear me down. Let it be to the glory of God. Because following Jesus is risky business. You have to be careful what you say, though. In January 2020, you know, I, I don't pray, by the way, for patience anymore. Anyone else? Any new? I'm sorry. We've got someone still praying for patience. Anyone else? Praying for patience. Oh, yeah. Well, see, the Lord is building patience in you. When you pray for patience, he puts you around situations that require more patience. So I've stopped praying for that. I've, I've also stopped praying, this is going to sound awful, for more love. Because when you pray for more love, he brings unlovely things and people around you to love. Lord, whatever love I currently have, use that to its fullest potential. I don't need more. In January 2020, the whole globe, there was a song that, that took over, Refiner. I think, did we sing Refiner here? Chad, are you with me? Did we sing Refiner? Oh, we never did. Well, it was a song, you may have heard it on the radio or in your worship playlist with Alexa, but it says, I want to be tried by fire, purify, right? Yeah. The whole world was singing, I want to be tried by fire in January 2020. Two months later, (laughs) the whole world being tried by fire. Can we just change the lyrics? I want to be tried by grace, more and more grace, right? Our, Our words have power. Your worship has power. I mean, I remember two months then all churches shut, shut down for a couple of weeks. I think we closed for, I don't know how long we closed. It's all, honestly, the past two years is just a blur to me. I know at one point we closed, and then I said we wouldn't close again. We're gonna, we are going to stay open and be a, a tower and a house and a refuge for people to come. Um, and my whole family got COVID, so we closed. <laughs> then we opened, and I said, we're not closing again. We haven't. But um, pastors didn't know what to do. I remember the panic as a pastor and all of my friends talking. There were, there was, this was the first time in the history of pastoring churches that you didn't have anyone you could call that had been there before, that had done it. No living people, at least. We had no one to lean on. No pastor. Not, none of my mentors knew. They, they were... We were all asking each other, so what are you doing? I don't know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, what is your congregation feeling? What is your congregation? What is the city feeling? I mean, the the talking, it was just ridiculous. And quite honestly, that two weeks to flatten the curve seemed like an eternity. But God just answered what we were singing. And if you don't want to take a risk, you can continue singing the songs of your own heart. But we've entered into a season where God needs kingdom songs. He needs people that are willing to take a risk. You know if you're playing it safe by the prayers that you pray. 
If God answers all your prayers, would it change the world or just your world? I'm out of time, but I want to read to you. I'll give you a couple of thoughts, a couple of nuggets. For those that like to take notes, let me just give you two points real quick. As far as risk goes, you're, you're saying, Trey, I think I want to take a risk. Where do I go from here? Let me just remind you that failure is not an option. It's mandatory. Failure is not an option. It's mandatory. If you are going to accomplish anything in life that is kingdom-centered, you're going to fail a few times. Not just once, a few times. So don't get too comfortable. If you're not failing somehow, somewhere, you're playing it too safe. You're not challenging yourself and you're not taking a risk. So go out, make some mistakes, fail a few times. Just don't make the same failure multiple times. Learn from your mistakes. The only time that you truly fail is the last time you try. And there are only two types of people in the world, by the way. Uh, the two types of people that don't fail are number one, perfect people. And number two, people that never try anything beyond what they already know. And there are no perfect people. So if you're doing something outside of your comfort zone, you are going to fail. Don't be afraid of failure when God asks you to take a risk. If he has called you to take a risk, he is going to sustain you. But Pastor Trey, I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't know what that looks like. Neither did Abraham. But God said, go. And he went. Step out in faith. Go. Do it. Do what God is calling you to. And then you will see. I, I get that it's scary. I get that you're, you're afraid. I get that you have fear. But guess what? Fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. I want to read to you in closing what C.S. Lewis wrote in 1948. Now, keep in mind, in 1945, the first atomic bomb was used in Hiroshima. And so they were living in fear at this time, 1940s, mid to late 40s, about the power of the atomic bomb. It was new on the scene. Life felt unstable. This is what C.S. Lewis writes. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic bomb age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty 
of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors and aesthetics, but we still have that. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, when it comes, let it find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together, frightened like sheep, thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. God is calling us to an age of risk. To step out in power. To build his church with boldness.